Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. As far as we have time through the rest of this chapter, want to do it that way because I think a complete reading from 26 through 39 would perhaps not be of much benefit. Some of it is somewhat confusing from the King James, so we will read it verse by verse and uh, make our comments uh, on each verse as we go. The title that I've given this morning to the message, it's Christ or Judgment. And I think we can see quickly in that title that we're going to talk about only two alternatives, and that's all there is. There are no more uh, possible ways of looking at life, particularly eternal life, than either one is going to receive Jesus Christ as Savior, or he is going to enter into God's judgment. And that's exactly what the writer to Hebrews says in these verses that we're going to look at. But I want to take them one by one. Look at verse 26. Keep your Bibles open because I want to come back to, to I think, every verse or nearly every verse throughout this section. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifices or sacrifice for sins. An initial reading of that verse gives us lots of problems. If we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge, the truth, then there's no sacrifice, no more sacrifice for our sin. What does all that mean? In order to answer it, I want us to go back, first of all, to some verses in the Gospels. Go back to Luke. Hold on to Hebrews, but go back to Luke. Chapter 12. Then we're going back to Mark and then to Matthew. But Luke chapter 12, verse 10. And listen carefully to these words. Luke 12, 10. Whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. The Son of Man is Jesus. That's referred to by the Lord himself. Whosoever shall speak a word against Jesus, it shall be forgiven him. But unto him that blasphemeth, notice the word blasphemy, unto him that blasphemeth against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him. Go back to Mark chapter 3.
Mark chapter 3, beginning at verse 28. Mark 3, 28, Verily I say unto you, all sins, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blaspheme wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. Sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, even blasphemy. Now, verse 29, but he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. The second time he says blasphemy against the Holy Ghost is not forgivable. Okay, go to Matthew. Chapter 12, verse 31, Matthew 12, verse 31 and 32, Matthew 31, uh, uh, verse 12, uh, sorry, Matthew chapter 12, verse 31, wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. But the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, that is, against Jesus, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him. And then Matthew adds a very strong final note here. It shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Now that's pretty strong stuff. We've got to answer a question. What is blasphemy? Because all three passages said that blasphemy can be forgiven. Sins can be forgiven. Except blasphemy against the Holy Ghost cannot be. In the Old Testament, the word blasphemy was used to mean an insult to God, a direct attack upon him or a mocking of him. So in the Old Testament, you could insult God, you could mock God, and that was called blasphemy. In the New Testament, we have the same thing retained, that is, mocking God, that is, mocking his word will not be forgiven. Now, I'm sorry. Let me, let me back up. Scratch that. Erase that. Don't hear that. Mocking God, 
insulting God in the Old Testament can be forgiven. It's the third one that is added, and that is what we have read now in three places. The third blasphemy added in the New Testament is blasphemy against the Holy Ghost is not forgivable. Now what is blasphemy against the Holy Ghost? We find it all the way through the New Testament that the Holy Ghost has come into the world to convict men of their sins. That's his purpose, his job. And if a person rejects that which the Holy Ghost has come to do, he cannot be forgiven of that rejection. We use the term unpardonable sin. By the way, the term unpardonable sin is never found in the Scripture. That's man's term. But there is a sin that is unpardonable. One sin that is not pardonable. What is it? Well, in man's mortal mind, when he thinks that he knows all those things that are grave sins that God possibly would not forgive, somebody would say, God's not going to forgive a murderer. Taking a life is unpardonable. We don't find that in the Scripture. Somebody would say a dope peddler can never be forgiven, but we don't find that in the Scripture. And Fred made a good point on this one in our Sunday school class this morning. Someone would say immorality, sexual sin, God cannot possibly accept that and forgive it. But the Scripture says all manner of sin can be forgiven. The only thing that cannot be forgiven is what somebody does against the Holy Ghost. And there we're not talking about morality, nor murder, nor any of those things. We are talking about something that deals with what the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit's purpose and job is in this world. And that is, his job is to convince a person that he ought to repent of his sins and be saved. That's his job. You see, as I stand in the pulpit, it's not me convincing people that they ought to be saved. It's the Holy Spirit that does that. And when you deal with an individual, as you talk with them about being saved, it's not you that is convicting that person of their sins and the need to be saved. It's the Holy Spirit working through you. And so, we can say then that a sin that is not pardonable is that person who rejects the purpose of the Holy Spirit, that is, he scoffs at the need to be saved, that is, he ignores the need to be saved, and rejects the need to be saved, and says, in effect, I don't want anything to do with what the Holy Ghost is trying to tell me I ought to do. That cannot be forgiven. Here or in the world to come. And so a person who goes out of this life unsaved 
That is, he has rejected and scoffed at and ignored and paid no attention to and finally said no unto the pleading and the urging of the Holy Spirit will go not to Jesus Christ, but will go to God in judgment and there stand before God condemned because he has sinned the sin that God will not forgive. That is, rejecting the pleading of the Holy Spirit on that person's life. Now, having said all of that, let's look at Hebrews 11 again, verse 26. And I'm going to put it in my terms. Let me give you a translation that, that I've come up with. To Not that it's intended to take the place of the verse that's written here, not at all, but is intended to be helpful in understanding it. So I think we could read it this way in our understanding and say that if a man rejects Christ willfully after he knows the truth, then he has blasphemed the Holy Spirit and will not be forgiven. That's the only one that will not be forgiven and cannot be. All right. Let's go on. Verse 27. We're talking about this person now who has blasphemed the Holy Ghost and has rejected what he has come to do and to say and to, uh, to deal with the person. That person now is the reference in verse 27. That person has nothing left but a certain fearful looking for our judgment. In other words, that person who has committed the unpardonable sin has nothing to look forward to except judgment. Now notice what it says after judgment. He has nothing to look forward to except judgment and fiery indignation. Call that, if you will, God's anger. He has nothing to look forward to but God's anger. And God's anger, the verse goes on to say, shall devour the adversaries. So there are three words in that verse that perhaps if you mark in your Bible, you ought to mark, highlight. Judgment, indignation, and devour. That person who rejects the pleading of the Holy Spirit. Verse 28, He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. In the Old Testament, if you disobeyed the law and there were two or three people who could testify against you, you could be condemned to death for disobeying the law. Now, verse 29, how much more sore punishment, how much worse punishment shall ye, that is, the person who has committed the unpardonable sin, shall ye uh, be thought worthy? How much worse punishment? If the Old Testament disobedience to the law could bring death, how much worse is going to be the punishment the person who rejects Jesus Christ, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God. You know, this is one of the tragedies of our world today, 
and that is the person of Jesus Christ is treated so shabbily that it's as if we were trampling all over his body. And I wonder how many times that you and I, as his children, have treated him so lightly and so irreverently that it would be as if we had walked all over him. You have said it, perhaps, or have had it said to you, you're tromping all over me. Have you ever had anybody tromp on you? And we're not talking about hobnailed boots. We're talking about verbally, about emotionally, about being treated so shabbily that we would call it being tromped on. We talk about kids who think so little of their parents that as if they were walking all over their parents. About kids in school who walk all over their teachers. About husbands who walk on their wives and wives who walk on their husbands. And church members who walk on each other. It means that we don't feel very much in our heart and soul for that person. It means we consider them as nothing more than dust to be scattered about by the tromping of our feet. It means that we really don't appreciate nor love them like we ought to. And he's saying, how much more is the punishment going to be meted out upon people who treat the Son of God with this kind of disrespect? Treat lightly, who laugh at, who ignore, and who use his name in vain. The name of the Lord is used routinely by most people anymore in a very disrespectful manner. And I think we as his children need to be careful that even our little phrases that we use so often, oh my God and oh Lord, and all of those things that we say, are not being used disrespectfully. Look at the rest of verse 29. Oh, how, how much sore punishment suppose ye shall be, he be thought worthy who has trodden underfoot the Son of God and has counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified as an unholy thing. We have communion service from time to time. And we take juice, and we say this represents the blood of Christ. And in that particular service and ceremony, we're very reverent, very respectful, because we recognize that were it not for the blood of Jesus Christ, our life would be nothing. But do you know that there are those who consider the death of Christ on the cross as a laughing stock? He's been represented that way in movies, and he's represented that way in life. In our world today, there is a growing worship of Satan. Do you know that Satan worshipers have communion? I cannot tell you in a church service all the things that they do. They have a fluid and they have bread. They take 
actual blood and mix it with urine and drink it. In order to declare the blood of Christ as unholy. And they take the bread and put it places that I cannot tell you where it goes in a congregation on Sunday morning in order to say that the body of Christ is despicable. This is their communion. And the scripture says those who treat the crucifixion of Christ with this kind of disrespect can expect nothing but the absolute anger of God to be showered out upon them comes judgment time. That's what this chapter is talking about. Verse 30. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. That's referring to God. I will recompense, saith the Lord. You remember probably well Romans 12, 19, which is a very similar verse when it says, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Man has the idea sometimes that we're the ones who are supposed to put out the judgment. We're supposed to make the decisions. We're supposed to categorize people into saved and lost. Listen, there's nothing in the scripture that gives us that responsibility. You see, if you don't dress like we dress and don't go to church like we go to church and don't use the same translation of the Bible that we use and all the other things, you couldn't possibly be saved. We make those judgments. That is, man does. There are churches who make that judgment. There are people who believe that if you don't read from the King James Version, you're not reading from the Bible. Listen, that's blasphemy of God's Word to say that. God's Word is God's Word, and man does not change that Word. This is a, a, a 1611 version of God's Word. And some of you have some others that are, are more modern. God's word is what God says to people. And we are not to categorize people here or there by the way they dress, by the church they go to, by the, the particular version of the scripture that they read. Vengeance is mine. I will make the judgment, God says, not you. You know, he and his disciples were going down the road one day and some people were disrespectful of the Lord. You'll find that over in Luke chapter 9. And the disciples said, Lord, do you want us to call fire down out of heaven and destroy all these people? We'll burn them up. They were angry. And the Lord said, I didn't come to destroy people. I came to save people. Leave them alone. Let's quit putting people into categories. Let God do his judgment. Let us worship him as his people. That's all our job is. The Lord shall judge his people, he says there in the latter portion of verse 30, not us. He gave us the parable of the tares and the wheat. He said, don't go out there in that field and start pulling up those weeds because when you do so, you're liable to pull up the wrong ones. You can't tell the difference. You can't tell lost and saved. One of the greatest surprises that you and I are going to have is when we go to heaven and see some people in heaven that we never thought in the world would ever possibly be there. And I'll tell you another thing that's going to happen. We're going to start looking around for some of the people that we sat in church with in our congregations over the years and discover they're not there. 
Because you attend this church doesn't make you a candidate for eternity in heaven. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can do that. Verse 31. This chapter is very firm. It says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now let me hasten to say, we who are Christian do not have to fear God. Matter of fact, we who are Christian are told to come boldly into the presence of God. One of the things that President Kennedy did that I admired him for as a president, that he would stop even the highest level cabinet meetings to talk to his son John when he came walking into the conference room where his daddy was conducting the conference and he would stop and take his son on his knee and talk with him a little bit in the midst of all of these dignitaries there was something more important and that was his, his relationship with his son I admired him for that we can come boldly into the presence of the Lord as Christian people and sit on his knee and talk with him and he'll take time for us. This is God. But listen, the lost, those who have committed the unpardonable sin are not going to find a father like this. They're going to find nothing but judgment. And that's a fearful thing to be in a position where you've got to be afraid of the one sitting on the throne. Let's go on. He says in verse 32 through 34, Remember the days before you were enlightened, illuminated is the word there in the King James, before you learned what it was to be saved, how that you endured great uh, fights of affliction. You really were suffering. Uh, you, were, you were made a gazing stock, we would say laughing stock. Christians are laughing stocks on many occasions. We're laughed at and scoffed at how crazy it is to do what we do. You know this thing of coming to church is sort of ridiculous, isn't it? If you're looking through the mind of the unsaved. Why take a Sunday morning when you could be sleeping in and come out here to sit and listen to a dull sermon and sing some dull hymns and hear somebody pray a long prayer and you wish that you were home snoozing? Why do we do it? They don't understand all of this. We're made laughing stocks in many occasions. These people were made laughing stocks and were ridiculed. And they suffered affliction because of their faith. He reminds them in verses 32 through 34 that not only did they lose about everything they had and were they laughed at, but they were willing to share the affliction of others around them. They were willing to stand up for other people. Let me tell you something. I'm going to deal with this subject one of these days, but let me, let me just go over it lightly now. We talked this morning about the, the Holocaust during the Second World War with, with Hitler and the, the millions of Jews that were killed and, and all the others. In these United States, we are killing millions upon millions upon millions of unborn babies as if they were nothing. But in a matter of just days, 
there's a full recognizable infant in that mother. And there are people today who are going to jail, being drugged off to jail, have been having doing this in Atlanta just recently and some other cities, when they are standing outside abortion clinics and trying to convince these young girls that they ought not give up that baby. They ought to grow. One of the people who worked hard on this project insisted that one of the doctors who performed the abortions would simply listen to the heartbeat of an eight-week-old baby they have been able to record. That doctor listened to that heartbeat. Finally, after he, they insisted he do it. And they said that he got up out of that meeting and left the room without ever speaking a word, but never committed another abortion. Because he finally realized that when you've got a heartbeat, you've got a life. We need to be concerned about people who cannot take care of themselves, be it the unborn, be it the elderly, or be it those of us in between. Some of you come here this morning, perhaps all of you, I don't know, with real burdens on your heart. And sometimes we don't perceive all of that and, and are not able to share with each other as we ought to. Many of you tell me about them. It's, it's difficult to, for every person in the congregation to understand and comprehend the needs that you're going through. But listen, it's not because we don't want to. It's because we are, we are not capable of it or we don't understand or we're so full of our own problems that we can't see beyond our problems to your problems. Do you understand? We love each other and we're so weak and frail in being able to support each other. It's be, not because we don't want to, it's because we're weak or we don't know how to. And for those of you who are suffering, who have problems that are almost insurmountable, and some of them are, he has something to say to you. The latter portion of verse 34, and then three or four more verses, the last line of verse 34 says, you have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. You may have it difficult here. Because of your faith, you may not have very many friends. Because of your faith, you might even lose all your worldly possessions, such as the people did in the, these days. But he says, you've got something waiting for you, a whole lot better place. You have, in verse 35, a great recompense of reward. He says, do not cast away your confidence. Hold on to your faith, even in the midst of your trial. Look at verse 35. See it? Cast not away your confidence. Hold on. Because you've got a reward waiting for you that will be worth it all. And then he says, in verse 36... Have a little patience. This is one of the hardest things for us to achieve, is to achieve patience. But have a little patience, and he that shall come will come. And what is he going to do when he comes? He says, 
I come quickly and my reward is with me to give to those that are faithful. You think you're having it tough? Listen, someday you're going to look back on it and say, brother, it was worth it all. Look what I got out of it. When is it going to happen? Verse 37, he says, just a little while, just a little while, he that shall come will come. In verse 38, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. But, he goes on, if any man draw back, if any man draw back, my soul uh, shall have no pleasure in him. Every once in a while we have difficulty holding on to our faith and we think about going back to our old way of life to do things that we used to do, to quit the church, to quit praying, to quit reading our Bible, to quit being faithful to what we know the Lord wants. And he says, listen, if you draw back, if you don't remain faithful, the Lord is not going to be pleased with you. Verse 39, let's conclude. But we, we're not of them who draw back. But we're of them that believe to the saving of the soul. I think that's one of the most beautiful verses in the scripture. I want to be a part of that group who believe to the saving of the soul. Are you saved this morning? It's because you believed. If you're not saved, you are guilty of committing a sin that cannot be forgiven you. If you haven't believed, you haven't trusted, you haven't given your life to the Lord Jesus, we would encourage you to do so this morning. That you might be forgiven while there is time. Because beyond this world, there is no forgiveness for the committing of that unpardonable sin. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at James sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.